Hi, everyone. You are listening to Freshfield's Essential Antitrust Podcast. My name is Jen Malott, and I'm a partner in Freshfield's offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Today, I'm here in Washington, D.C., where the cherry blossoms are still in bloom, and the 2023 ABA Antitrust Spring Meeting is just wrapping up. We have had antitrust specialists here from all over the world, from law firms, from regulators, and from companies, here to exchange views and hear the latest and greatest about what is happening in the world of antitrust enforcement. Now, every year, the Enforcers Roundtable is one of the highlights of the conference, where the leaders of some of the major competition regulators from around the world get together on a panel to talk about what they've been doing and what their plans are for the future. This year, the Enforcers Roundtable was co-chaired by Freshfield's own Nanette Dodu, who's an antitrust partner in our Asia group and leads our China competition practice, together with Tom Zich, who's the chair of the ABA Antitrust Law Section. And although Nanette definitely deserves to go get a cocktail after hosting this roundtable, instead I have dragged her back to our offices to tell us all about it. Hi, Nanette. Thank you so much for doing this. Hi, Jen. Delighted to be back again. So let's just start, Nanette, with the lay of the land. Can you tell me for the roundtable this year, who are the enforcers who joined? Certainly. We had some of the most active actors when it comes to antitrust enforcement and also competition policy. So we had FTC Chair Khan, DOJ Assistant Attorney General Cantor, and Assistant Attorney General Cooley, all from the U.S., from Europe, we had Executive Vice President and Commissioner Vestair. And also from the UK, we had the UK CMA Chief Executive Cardell. So again, as I said, many of the key enforcers in the world. Yeah, you really got a who's who of the, of the people driving um, all of the chatter in the antitrust world today. So, you know, I won't ask you, uh, Nanette, to go and give us a blow by blow of the entire two hour panel. But I'm curious, you know, what are some of the key themes that came out of the discussion? You know, for people that that couldn't be here in person, what are the things that they should know the regulators are talking about? So without question, one of the key areas of focus was indeed digital markets. Each of the regulators made the point that digital markets are of priority to them. Unsurprisingly, each of the agencies are focusing on this. And this is also a trend we are seeing in other parts of the world, notably in Asia, whether it's Australia, whether it's in China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan and elsewhere. The second key point to mention, I think this is relevant for how we look at enforcement in digital markets, is the fact that regulators are recognizing or taking the view that the tools that they have in their existing toolkits may not be sufficient to address the concerns that they have with respect to digital markets. And so, as Commissioner Vester explained, this is one of the reasons why the DMA is of importance. This is the Digital Markets Act, which the European Commission has, has, has introduced. You also heard this from the CMA Chief Executive Cardell, who also made the point, making a similar point, that it may be necessary to introduce other tools to ensure that markets can actually be looked at in the way they would want they would want to do. And again, as I said before, this is a trend that we're seeing in other parts of the world. The second point, and I think this is this is actually was encouraging to hear this, is 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 around agency cooperation. If I take the US, it was heartening to hear how DOJ and FTC and the states are working together and are actually keen 
to work together. As one of the panelists put it, we are shoulder to shoulder. The second point and related point is that there is overall commonality across agencies, and this is at the international level. Commonality in terms of the underlying concerns, commonality in terms of the goals that each of the agencies wish to pursue, notably protecting consumers, protecting workers, and also for some of them, focusing on other areas such as climate change and sustainability. Having said all of that, there's also recognition that, in fact, there may be divergences. But if there are divergences, this is more a reflection of the impact of a particular transaction, a particular investigation in the country concerned. For me, these are the two points that are quite came out, were quite to the fore in our discussions. Yeah, and then maybe just a question on, on this collaboration coordination point. I mean, it's it's interesting. And certainly, I think across the entire spring meeting conference, there was quite a lot of discussion on collaboration and coordination between the agencies, but also what it means that there have been some of these cases with different outcomes in, in, in individual instances. But it sounds like, from what you're saying, that on the Enforcers Roundtable, in terms of kind of big picture concepts, you know, where we're going, what issues we're concerned about, that there is a relative level of alignment among the big agencies? Or were there any areas where you know, the US and the EC or the EC and the CMA feel they're sort of just going in opposite directions on something more conceptual? My overall sense was that there is broad alignment across the agencies, particularly, of course, when it comes to digital markets. When it comes to other areas such as labor issues and sustainability, ESG issues, which also came up in our discussions, I wouldn't see it as divergence, but I would suggest that there are different speeds of engagement on these uh, on these issues. Take ESG, for example, where Europe is very much leading the way, with the EU, for example, having uh, published draft guidelines uh, for public comments. Similarly, uh, the UK most recently having published guidelines also for public consultation. The Dutch authority, of course, was the first off the mark to publish a set of draft guidelines on topic closer to the US, it was clear that this is an issue, a topic, which is still being debated. Clearly, there is a difference of opinion across different states, with those quite in favour of using the antitrust laws that we have to promote sustainability, and those that consider that, in fact, collaboration around ESG is problematic. And of course, at the federal level, we all know that this is something that is also being debated. I think where there is commonality, though, where there is consistency in approach is that every single enforcer recognizes that calling something or giving something an ESG badge is not a license for the particular transaction or the particular collaboration. In other words, there are, there, there are no specific rules, there are no specific carve-outs or exemptions for ESG-related topics. And then I mentioned labour as well. I think labour is also another area where you see different uh, speeds of, um, of, um, of interest. Clearly, whether at federal level or state level, US enforcers have made this a priority. And so antitrust enforcement in labour markets has indeed gained momentum in the US. When you look at Europe, 
this is also something that is increasingly becoming of importance and is also gaining traction. For example, early February 2023, Executive Vice President Vester restated the clear message that the European Commission is monitoring this. In the UK, this is also something that is being monitored, and the CMA has also raised a potential concerns around competition in labour markets. So again, a consistency that we see across common issues, but a slight difference in terms of focus or in terms of levels of enforcement that we are seeing. I should add that this is also a trend that we are seeing in Asia as well, where no-poach arrangements, non-compete arrangements are also slowly rising up the agenda and coming to authorities' attention as areas of focus. You know, just touching on this last point you brought up, Lynette, on kind of labor issues and ESG issues, I will say one theme that I've heard on a number of other panels at the conference is a question around whether kind of looking at labor and ESG, whether antitrust is the right way to do that, or if those are sort of broader societal issues and antitrust is not really the right tool to kind of try to solve the world's problems with, or whether competition regulators should should give it a go and try to, to loop those things into the analysis. And it sounds like those came up quite a lot in the roundtable. I'm, I'm curious whether there was any discussion of, of that question of whether this is really a competition issue at all, or if it's a, you know, is it appropriate for competition regulators to be focusing even on things like labor and ESG, you know, except in labor outside of the very specific monopsony context? I don't think that question in and of itself came up. But what I think is clear, though, and that's just my, you know, my personal view, but from my perspective, is that we are seeing, we are witnessing a gradual shift in terms of the application of antitrust law. And it is a gradual shift in the sense that it's not so much that the laws have changed, it's not so much that the principles or the frameworks that we use for antitrust analysis have changed, but there's almost a kind of awakening that antitrust rules should be used or can be used by the enforcers to address certain market failures, certain challenges that they see in the market. With that question, I think each of the enforcers made the point that their mission is quite clear. It is to protect consumers. And in terms of protecting consumers, if that involves a focus on labor issues, if that involves addressing market failures with respect to addressing existential threats such as climate change, then they do think that antitrust rules can be used to address these topics. So this is a shift from where we all perhaps started off with several decades ago in terms of what we all mean or what we all understand by the consumer welfare standard. Interesting to hear that that shift uh, is just sort of implicit in the way then the enforcers talk about, about their priorities. I mean, just stepping away from, from the specific themes and issues that, that you've raised, I, you know, I'm curious whether there was anything else that came up in the discussion that either you know, surprised you or that you thought was especially notable? I mean, I think, you know, sometimes at the Enforcers Roundtable, you hear like a big announcement from an agency that um, it becomes very prominent in, in the reporting of it afterwards. But I think that that was not necessarily the case this year. But, but I'm curious whether there was anything that came up that was, you know, surprising or notable. What is particularly worth noting was actually the panel composition. 
Now, I suspect this is probably one of the most diverse panels we've had in terms of gender, gender proportionality. It's a point that did not go unnoticed. It was a point that was made at the start of our panel by one of the male panelists. It was also a point that was made at the end of the panel. It was notable that Vester encouraged us to really step up efforts to promote diversity, particularly in this context, gender diversity. So I thought that was noticeable. That was of note that even in the context of doing our day-to-day jobs, even in the antitrust arena, there is still acknowledgement that more needs to be done to ensure that more women are promoted to the upper echelons of law firms, of academia, of enforcement uh, agencies. Well, then it's it's nice to follow it up here with our 100% gender diverse debrief podcast. <laughs> so, Nina, I think, um, you know, it's clear from what you said about some of the big themes we've heard that, you know, big strategic deals will continue to be in the spotlight, that big tech especially will continue to be in the spotlight. They're not going to be able to relax anytime soon. And a lot of the enforcement investigations we've seen in recent years is going to continue. One thing that um, that you haven't mentioned yet that I'm curious about is private equity and financial sponsors, which I think, you know, have been very much in the spotlight as well in the last couple of years. And just curious if, if any of the regulators mentioned that as a continued theme. Yes, indeed. I think that's a very good point worth flagging that one of the enforcers made that point. And it's clear, it's clear that private equity is in the antitrust cost crosshairs. And so greater care is needed in this space, particularly around interlocking directorates and the fact that from their perspective, this can indeed raise competition concerns. Whether this is going to mean that more companies are actually going to be focused on ensuring that there aren't these sort of interlocking directorates, I think remains to be seen. Certainly you and I, Jen, we know that several of our clients have been very focused on this and are working very hard to address this. Private equity was also the topic of of one of the panels at the conference, and it was noticeable that the conference room was quite full I think underscoring perhaps the concerns that I think a number of businesses have over the focus that the enforcers have in this uh, this particular area. It's interesting, and you know, we we've been talking quite a bit, thinking about you know enforcement actions, specific investigations. But another kind of mainstay of the competition world recently has been um, really wide-reaching market investigations and sector inquiries. You know, is that something you heard today that might diminish and now we focus more on actual enforcement in individual cases or are more of these studies coming down the pike? I think market studies are basically here to stay and there are more coming down the pipe. I, I, the UK has had a tradition of conducting market uh, market studies And it was clear from some of the comments made by one of the U.S. enforcers that this is one of the tools that they will use, they will continue to use to better understand how the markets are working to ensure that from their perspective, they are fulfilling their mission, which is to protect consumers. What is also interesting is that very often these market studies are likely to be driven by comments by submissions made by third parties, in a sense to attract their attention, 
to pique their interest in a particular sector and for them to use that as a basis to correct market imperfections again as the authorities see them. I think connected to that is the fact that authorities recognise that they do not have sufficient resources. The European Commission does have these two new tools that they have introduced, which is one is the DMA, of course, that we've talked about briefly earlier. And then the other is a foreign subsidies tool, which the European Commission has also introduced. All of these major tools will need to have sufficient resources for them to be addressed. And there will need to be a need to hire more experts across different disciplines to ensure, particularly with respect to digital markets, to ensure that they have the sufficient resources, the appropriate resources to be able to carry out their duties. Great. Well, you know, it sounds like we're going to continue to have a very active um, year of antitrust enforcement until we're back here for the next Enforcers Roundtable in 2024. But in the meantime, Nanette, I will uh, let you go to go have a very well-earned uh, drink now that you're done with the conference. But for everybody who, who has listened, we hope you've enjoyed hearing a bit about what's been happening here on the ground in D.C. this week. And we hope that you will tune in next time for more Essential Antitrust. trust.